0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon.
1: Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take a moment for silent reflection.
0: We're going to take a moment and focus our. Prayers along with our breath, and so as you inhale, a nice deep inhalation, we'll meditate on the words, gracious God, and as you exhale, lead us by your spirit. Gracious God, lead us by your spirit. Gracious God. Lead us by your
1: Spirit.
0: Gracious God, lead us by your Spirit. As we come to this very moment, we come excited and hopeful eager and anxious expectant and fearful triumphant and defeated confident and confused beautiful and broken how will we find ourselves this very moment help us to see that you know us in all our complexity in all our contradictions, all the ways we get it and we're very good people, and all the ways we don't get it and aren't that good of people. And your response is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would break through and teach us in a way that our lives would be transformed. We pray these things for our good, for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. You know, one of the things I love about living in San Diego and having family and friends come and visit is you get to take your family and friends, you get to play tour guide, and you go to spots that you are used to. You go to Sunset Cliffs or to the Coronado Bridge or whatever your favorite places are, and you're seeing it for the hundredth time, but they're seeing it for the first time, and they go, oh my gosh, this is amazing, this is beautiful, this is brilliant, this is dazzling. Do you get to do this all the time? And you realize, actually, yes, I do. So it gives you this like, sense of gratitude for where you live and what you get to experience all the time, and it helps you to experience it again for the first time through new eyes. This passage we just read comes out in one version or another of the Gospels every year, At this time, it's always the Feast of Transfiguration just before the season of Lent, the 40 days before Easter, begins. And I invite you, whether it's the first time you have ever read this, first time you've ever heard this, or whether this is something you hear every year at this time, to see it with new eyes, with fresh eyes, to listen to what God might be saying to you. Now, we're at a place in Matthew chapter 17 here where a lot has already happened, right? We're 17 chapters into a book that's about 28 chapters long, and it's been pretty dark lately in this. It says now six days later, six days after what? What happened six days before? Jesus has been with his friends. They've seen him heal, teach, preach, welcome, forgive, have authority over all sorts of things that nobody has power over. He's blowing their mind and then he says, with all my power, they're going to kill me. And they'll probably kill you too. But don't worry, it won't be the end. Okay. Six days later, he takes his closest friends up a mountain and this is what happens, And we learn who Jesus is, what he came to do, and how we respond. First, who Jesus is. And to understand this passage, you have to, I mean, you can understand it just by reading it and kind of get the high-level stuff. Jesus is unlike anybody else. We'll unpack that. We'll get into that. Jesus has some sort of power and authority. But if you view this through the lens that the early audiences would have all had in mind, the Exodus story. It comes in 3D. See, in the Exodus story, God had gotten God's people out of slavery in Egypt and led them to the promised land. And how did God lead God's people out of slavery to rescue them, to liberate them? Led them by day with a pillar that was like a cloud, and by night with a pillar Of fire. And that showed the presence of God. And that presence of God was so powerful, it disbanded the the Egyptian army, the most powerful military on the earth at the time, in one afternoon. That's power. And that cloud went and settled upon Mount Sinai. And when that cloud settled upon Mount Sinai and God said to Moses, come here, this is the great Ten Commandments moment, the whole mountain shook, and God said, don't let anybody come up the mountain, for if they do, they will surely die. Moses boldly says, well, may I at least get a look? May I at least just see a little bit? And God says, no, you can't. You couldn't handle it. It would kill you. Now, many years later, we are on a mountain again. We have the voice of God in verse five. We have Moses in verse three. We have Elijah who was another prophet who saw the glory of God in first Kings in the Old Testament. We have the glory cloud in verse five. But what's different? It doesn't kill them. It brings life. They're not kept outside. They're brought in. God doesn't say you can't look. In fact, God reveals who Jesus truly is. See, when Moses came off the mountain in Exodus, it says his face shone with reflected glory. He had gazed upon God in some way, and because of that, for a while, there was this this, uh, reflected light that came off his face, like the moon. But here is Jesus, emanating light, his face shone like the sun, Or as the writer of Hebrews said to an early church, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. As one author said, Jesus is the unsurpassed expression of the infinite, shattering beauty, the weight, the powerful presence of God. Jesus is the glory cloud. It is not the impersonal power of God out there. It is the personal, powerful presence of God that you can know and will love you back. In fact, doesn't love you back, loves you first and invites you to love God back. In the Bible, in this passage, I don't think could be any more, I don't think the Bible's clear in everything. Whenever someone says, the Bible's really clear, I'm like, whatever you say next, you better be sure you're sure of. But here it actually is pretty clear. Jesus is not, you have Moses and Elijah, which could represent Moses brought the law, Elijah was one of the chief prophets. So you have the law and the prophets. Definitely both were considered the pantheon of prophets. And it's being clear here to say, Jesus is not just one more prophet showing the way to God, like Moses and Elijah. Jesus is the God that all the prophets are pointing to. If you want to know what God is like, get to know Jesus. Whereas the writer of Colossians said, He is the image of the invisible. God. So my question for you, friends, Christian friends, are you treating Jesus at this point? Because this is one of the things. You begin to take love and relationship for granted. This happens with best friends. This happens in marriages. This happens among siblings. You begin to say, I've seen the sunset before. It's just one more sunset. Let this wake you up like smelling salts and remind you of the God that you are dealing with when you pray before bedtime, when you read your Bible, when you ask for help in the midday. This is the God that's drawing you near. Now, what did he come to do? As I mentioned in the Old Testament, whenever the glory of God appeared, when it came down on Mount Sinai or wherever it appeared, you couldn't come in direct contact with the glory of God, the presence of God. It would kill you. Now, we hear that, and let's be honest, you're at least either offended by that, like, how dare you say, God, I can't come close to you or it would kill me, or you're confused by it if you're paying attention. But let's think about this. You already know that it makes sense on a physical level. Let's imagine you're walking down 30th Street, and and an elephant falls out of a building out of the fourth floor window. I mean, weird things fall out of windows in North Park. Okay, let's say an elephant falls out of a building, and it falls on you from the fourth floor, you would be dead. Why? Well, you could say, I'm offended by the idea, but that really isn't the point. It's not offensive, it's a physical law. The being of the elephant was too great for the being of your body to bear. Okay? It's just a law. If you go out, it's a beautiful day today. Friends online, especially if you're in a place that's cloudy or cold, it's a beautiful day today. If you go outside, sorry, if you go outside and you look at the sun for several minutes, directly, it'll burn your eyes out. You'll probably damage your eyesight. It's not meaning to offend you. The illuminosity The intensity, the brightness of the sun is too much for the being of your eyes to bear and they can't take it. Isaiah the prophet, one of the foremost prophets, when he realizes he's in the presence of God, he says, woe is me, I've come undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. The being of my life is not strong enough to bear the being of God's presence. Anyone who gets anywhere close to the presence of God, begins to feel the moral weight because we're fractured, broken, flawed, finite. The infinity and glory and holiness of God is too great for our being to bear. Yet, we were created originally to enjoy that kind of fellowship and connection. You were created to enjoy that kind of fellowship with the glorious God. That's the way to identity, to realize that you are a child of that God, that that God would never leave you or forsake you. That is the key to meaning, to realize your place in this life is to enjoy the fellowship with the God who loves you and created you and then to share that fellowship with other people around you, and to participate in that mission of renewal wherever you go. My friends, that is a person truly alive. You were created for it, and yet it's so frustrating. It's two steps forward, it's one step back. This is one of the reasons in the Old Testament the tabernacle was built in the first place, in the temple. God says, I want to dwell in the midst of my people, but I don't want to kill them. (laughs) They can't handle it. I want to be close to them, but they can't handle it. So what do they do? They build the tabernacle, which was a tent. It was a large tent originally. Later on became a large temple. But the original one, the prototype, was a large tent. And in the center was a smaller tent. And in that smaller tent was a curtain or a veil. And behind that, the glory of God would dwell. The glory cloud would dwell. And so the people were shielded. They were protected. They could be close to God, but they wouldn't be obliterated. And God was in there behind the curtain so they can get close to it. And that's where the temple priests would do the sacrifices and the rituals and all of that. See, you're not going to, now why did I just take a minute to almost bore you to death with that little piece of, because you will not understand the amazing event in verse 4 unless you see this. So we're now back on the mountain of transfiguration and Peter sees Jesus emanating light like the sun, sees Moses and Elijah and says, it's really good to be here. Let's make three dwelling places. What do you think he's doing there? Some commentators say, well, this is just a great part of Peter's character profile. He's very impulsive, he's very bold. Have you ever been in one of those situations when you're kind of like in the presence of a great person and you don't know what to say, so you say the dumbest things, right? Maybe he's doing that. Like, this is really great, Jesus. Elijah, Moses, I'm going to make some, some dwellings right now. Maybe it's that. Like, this is like, Peter, you're totally killing our game right now. Please stop. Uh, maybe he's doing what you and I do. He's saying, this is so amazing. I just want it to last longer. Like I, f- I can already feel the sand slipping through the hourglass. I just, if Maybe if I make some dwellings, we can hang out all night and camp together and keep this thing going. Maybe. But what you need to see, there's more than that. Because when Peter says, I will make three dwellings, that's the English translation of the world for tent or tabernacle. What is he doing? He's saying, we have the presence of God in the glory cloud in our midst right now. We need some protection or we're going to die. He's, it says they're terrified. Hold on to that. And then the most terrifying thing happens. In verse 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. It says, when they heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. Have you ever been so afraid that your legs involuntarily went out from underneath you and you hit the ground? It takes a lot of fear to make that happen. That's where these people were in this space. Why? Because they knew that Moses had asked God, can I see you? And God said, no, you will die. You can't bear my being. And now the glory cloud is here. The voice of the Father is coming, and they're falling down terrified because they know surely they will die in any moment. But what happened? They didn't die. Why not? I think the key is in verse 8. I think the answer is right there. It says, when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. All they saw was Jesus. All they saw was Jesus, who in all of his glory and power and might would give it up, not so that they would be crushed, but so that they could be brought to life. In fact, I love that it says, they were so terrified, still in the fetal position on the ground, and Jesus goes down and touches them. Picture of grace. Where right now do you feel terrified or paralyzed? Where might God be coming to you and saying, Let me touch that part of your life? In Matthew chapter 27, this is, I hate to be a spoiler here, but toward the end of Matthew's gospel, as Jesus is being crucified on the cross, it says the curtain of the temple. Remember the curtain of the temple separated the presence of God from the presence of the people? It says the curtain of the temple. Is torn in two. No longer separation or distance. In other words, Jesus gave the glory of his being to pay for our brokenness. He was the ultimate sacrifice that all the temple sacrifices pointed to. He was the ultimate high priest that could mediate between divine and human. He gives the glory of his being to pay for our sin, to bridge the distance to God, to reconcile us to God. So that the glory of God that has so much weight that it could be fatal can actually come into your life. I think this is what the Bible is talking about when it says, don't you know, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You should just pause there and meditate on that for the next 10 years. The God we're talking about is in Jesus, and the power and presence that's in Jesus is in you when you follow him and trust him. Do you have that view of yourself? Christian friends, what would it be like if you looked in the mirror and said, the power of God is in me, the presence of God is in me, truly? Not only would that affect your confidence, think about the confidence at work tomorrow. Tomorrow when you walk into a room feeling insecure, that imposter syndrome, if they really knew that you don't have it together, they'd all laugh at you? What if the truest thing about you is God knows everything about you and is not laughing, but is smiling? It would affect all sorts of ways. Last week, remember, we looked at like the big, huge things about anger and lust and letting our yes be yes and no be no, our integrity. See, all of those things come into focus when they're not commands to keep you in line, but rather invitations to help you step into the glorious presence of God that's in your life and in this world, treating people accordingly. Jesus, in the night before he was crucified, he prays it in John chapter 17, this high priestly prayer. It's an amazing prayer. It goes on for a long time, but you're actually in it because there's a moment where he prays for those in the room, those a little further out, and then all of those who will believe because of their testimony. So if you're a Christian, that's you. And here's what he prayed for you. Father, I want to give them the glory I had with you before the foundation of the earth. Let that take you up so high it gives you a nosebleed. Especially when you realize how he did it. Because what we see here in the transfiguration is he is, you see him in his full beauty. And it's almost like I told you, it starts dark where he had just told them he's going to die. And they probably will too. Now we have this moment of the transfiguration where it's like a really darkly um, cinema-scoped film and the shutter opens real bright and you see this bright light for a moment and then the shutter closes and after this we learn he resolutely sets his face to Jerusalem which is a code for he's walking to the cross to die. And it's in the midst of all of this we realize in his power, in his glory, in his beauty he lost it all. He gave it all up so that we could have it. Now think about how this intersects with your life. I said you were created for that kind of glory and connection, and yet it's so frustrating and difficult, right, because we easily wander. Think about the ways that you pursue glory, meaning, and identity in your life right now. I mean, if, you're, if your last, the last week of your life was a movie and you watched it, what would you say is most important to that person? What do you say is driving you? See, we're looking for glory, but we settle for counterfeits. The counterfeits do work for a minute, and then they leave us wanting more. It's like being dying of thirst and you drink salt water, right? It works for 30 seconds. It works for a minute. It might even work for a half hour. It will kill you. And so your job will promise you some sort of glory, whether it's the status for doing your job, the recognition, the promotion, the raise. It is not a bad thing to do a good job well. In fact, that's a great thing. It's part of what we're made for. But when it becomes your glory, it will destroy you. When your relationships, whether romantic or platonic, Become your glory. See, you are made to be in connection with others, to love and to be loved, to give and to receive, to know and to be known. You were made for that. But when you say like Jerry Maguire, you complete me, or when you live according to the lyrics of almost any song you can find these days that has to do with love, I need you, I want you, you're my everything, you're my stars, you're my sun, I'm lost without you, that's called idolatry, and that will kill you. It'll do a couple things. A, it is a recipe for codependence. That's going to be an unhealthy relationship. Two, it's unfair to that person because they're not God. They will let you down. Stick around. So will you. It's a, so it's a recipe for resentment as well when it becomes your glory. But don't you see that when you know you're this loved by God, now you can love other people around you with no strings attached. There is somebody in my orbit right now, just in my sphere of kind of interaction, who gives me no love. I, and I was talking to Florence last night. I don't know what the deal is. I've never done anything to this person. I don't know if I remind them of somebody. I have no idea. Zero love. Now there's part of me that's like self-protective. You know, I didn't like you anyways. I don't even care. You're stupid and I don't like your shoes. Your mom dresses you funny. Like that's all self-protection, right? That's a great way to be isolated in this world. But how do I continue to go? I have to see this person regularly. They're in the community. How do I go about my day not hardening my heart and becoming bitter and cynical, not becoming a doormat and let them just walk on me, but actually have a healthy posture in this world and go, I know who I am, and I don't need them to validate me. That's okay. And I don't need the character to assassinate them. Don't you see that when you receive this kind of love, it gives you a new resource to operate in this world? Now, that's a bit of my story. I'm curious how that operates in your story, you already have access to a deeper glory. I'll give you one more example. If, if the most important thing to you is to be put together, to come across as having it all together, everything's lined up, you're achieving it, you're hitting home runs, you're knocking it out of the park, but when you're really honest with yourself, you're wondering how long you can keep it up, that's exhausting. It's two things. It's internally exhausting, so it's wearing you out, but it's also really discouraging because when you wanna tell yourself that other people love you and accept you, there's a voice that goes, they don't even know you. How could they love you and accept you? They only know the shell that you present, right? But if you can say, I'm confidently loved by God, now you can go out and achieve. You can try to hit home runs. Swing for the bleachers, please, but it's not your glory. So when there's victory, you can celebrate it without needing to let it tell you who you are. And when there's failure, you can feel it and correct it and learn from it without letting it devastate you. A new buoyancy altogether. It goes on and on. But you were made for this kind of glory. So two ideas for how we respond. The first one, I'm going to teach you a really cool new Greek word. First, I'll tell you the category. How do you respond? Trust him. Trust that you really are loved this much, and respond by listening to him, obeying him. That's that's where this Greek word comes in. We hear right in um, verse 5, this is the Father from heaven voice speaking, this is my Son, the Beloved, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The word we have for acoustics, anything audible. That comes from a Greek word, akuo, which means to hear. The word for listen is hupakuo or hypakuo, which means hyper-listen to him. It means listen to him and then do what he says. This is why he'd say things and then he'd say, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is why he said, a wise person is like one who, who listens to my commands and puts them into action. Listen to him. Now look, you will not listen to him and put, it in, and put his words into action and trust him and obey him until you see how much he loves you and how good he is and what he does with his power. See, if you think he's just one more ruler, one more king who has all this power and uses the power to either crush you or for his own benefit, you will never run to him. You will run from him and you should But when you see that he gives up all power and glory and authority so that you might have his life in you, when you see his actual character, you see how much he loves you, don't wait another minute, run to him. And the second one is, you can have a new patience and a new hope in times of darkness. See, the transfiguration is this bright light moment But Jesus is going to the cross. It ends with that cryptic line, and then if you take a Bible or go online later and look up Matthew 17, he unpacks it even more. But it ends with, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Two things there. First of all, Son of Man was a title given by the prophet Daniel to describe what God would be like when God comes to restore everything. The prophecy goes something like this. Then I saw one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven to make all things new. So first of all, Jesus is saying that prophecy was about me. Mind-blowing. Secondly, don't tell anybody until after I've been raised from the dead. What does that insinuate? I will be killed. And so there's this bright light moment reminding us of God's glory, but before and after he's going to walk through darkness, even to the point of death. And here's the point. His glory is present, but it's hidden. Even in the darkness, even in weakness, even on the cross when it looks like total defeat, when it looks like it's the end of the story and the lights are literally going out as it says, the sun refused to shine. It's done. There's no hope. Even then, three days later, he rose from the dead, showing that death itself will not have the final word. And so you can have a new hope right now when things look like they're bad and not getting better in your life. Bad and not getting better in our political system. Bad and not getting better on the global stage. And it looks like there's no hope. You can say, even in this, his glory is hidden and I trust that he's at work. Which means you can be patient and hopeful even as you mourn and lament. We call it what it is, and we hold it with hope. And we have the gift of patience because God is at work. I'll leave you with this. As I mentioned, this passage occurs in many of the four Gospels. In Luke's account of this Gospel, he doesn't only tell us that Jesus was talking with Elijah and Moses, which would just be an awesome huddle to be in, he tells us what they were talking about. He says Jesus was talking with Moses about his departure. Except that word departure is the same word as exodus. So Jesus is talking with Moses of the exodus about the exodus that Jesus is about to lead. And Moses led people out of slavery into freedom and Jesus will lead us out of darkness into light from death into life through his exodus which he will accomplish on the cross. And so, friends, our meditation and our invitation today is to see him for who he truly is, dazzling, brilliant, the image of the invisible God who pours his power out for you so that you may have the glory that he had with the Father before the foundation of the world. Maybe that's our prayer. Lord, help me to trust that. Help me to believe that. And then help me to live that out in this world. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray now that just as you surprised Peter and James and John on that mountain, you'd surprise us today by your grace. Wake us up. Fill our minds with your truth, our hearts with your love, our lives with your grace and courage and compassion. Help us to trust you and obey you. And help us, give us the grace to be patient as we wait with hope for you to renew all things, even as we join in that project of renewal. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.